Uh, it's a real privilege for me to welcome you here this morning. I know we have some who are family and friends who've come especially for this particular thing of this parent-baby dedication. I just want to say a few words about the parent-baby dedication. First of all, I want to let you know we have uh, three families that are bringing, Luke and Kira are uh, bringing the latest edition, plus Amber's going to come up with them too, I think. So uh, Malachi's going to join them here with them this morning. Uh, Eric and Ange are going to come, and they're going to bring little Briella and probably Brenda. I don't know if Brenda's coming up with Briella or not, but she might. And then uh, the, the Molners, we have Dustin and Molly. They're going to bring little Everly up, and so she'll be coming up. And uh, I want to just say, here's kind of what we view this as, okay? So when these parents bring their their young ones up, they're basically saying what uh, the psalmist said, and I'm going to read Psalm 127. He says, Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They shall not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. So these couples are just coming saying, you know, we're just praising God for his blessing. And we recognize that these young ones are a gift from him to us, and we're grateful for that. So it's a celebration, but it's also a public profession. This is, I like to say, it's a parent-baby dedication. Because the parents are saying, we are committing ourselves to raise these little ones up in the ways of the Lord. To know and fear and honor Christ. So they're dedicating themselves. They're not dedicating the baby as such. They're committing and celebrating and dedicating themselves to raise the baby. So we have an obligation as a congregation to encourage them in that. And to kind of hold them accountable to that. And to support them in that. And so that's our responsibility and our privilege uh, to do that. Now, uh, I'm going to ask the, the parents to come on up. And uh, you guys are going to stand up here. I'm going to stand down here. People get to see me all the time, so they don't really care. So they want to see you. Okay, so bring those little ones up. And, uh, yep, that's fine. Stand there. Eric, Ange, come on up. Dustin and Molly. Hi, Everly. Hi, little girl. Oh, yeah, you come on up too, man. You're, you're in this. Everybody gets to come. Okay, let's make room. Squinch together or scoot back a little bit. Yeah, scoot back onto the bigger platform. There you go. All right, all right. So here they are, uh, Luke and Kira. And, uh, well, that's Amber. But Malachi is the, the younger one there. Okay, then we have Dustin and Molly. And they're bringing a little Everly. All right. And we got Eric and Ange. And they got little Briella. Okay. All right. So here's their commitment. What they're doing up here today is they're saying, look, we're going to raise these kids to know the Lord. So I'm going to just say a few things to you parents, all right? First of all, uh, you have a natural responsibility, a physical responsibility. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8, that if we don't provide for our family, then we're worse than unbelievers. And so you have a responsibility. And you're saying, yeah, we're going to take responsibility seriously to provide food, clothing, shelter for these little ones that God has given to us. And that's a, that's a great thing. It's a natural thing. You also have a spiritual responsibility. That's why you're here in the church. I mean, you can, you know, you, in your spiritual responsibility. I think of Deuteronomy 6 where uh, Moses wrote, he says, these things that I'm commanding you today shall be on your hearts and you shall teach them to your children when you sit 
in your home, when you walk along the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. So the truths of God's word are supposed to be coming out of you at all times. That's discipleship. It's not just like, okay, Sunday morning, we got to start putting on our Jesus face, but we're supposed to walk with Christ all through the day in every aspect of our life. And so I want to encourage you, that involves, uh, first of all, it involves uh, spiritual instruction. Teach your kids the truths of God's word. It also includes a spiritual example. So you kind of got to live it. You know, you kind of got to live out the truth of God's word every day. I'm going to say a particular thing. There's a binky on the floor. I'm going to say uh, one particular thing to you all. As couples, my encouragement to you is to love each other. I'm going to say this again. Love each other above your love for your children. And you say, what do you say that for at a parent-baby dedication? Because I'm convinced that God's word teaches that your first and foremost commitment is to love one another. If you love each other, then your love for your kids is just going to come out naturally. And if you love each other first, then guess what? Your kids are going to be so secure. They're going to, then I got to question anything about their security. They're going to just know that they are cared for, they're loved, and they're, if their parents are like this, nothing can separate them. I'm going to say a particular thing to the dads because the Bible is pretty clear that uh, when it comes to the spiritual direction of the home, that the father is to be the leader. So Luke, Dustin, and Eric, I want to challenge you to take seriously your responsibility to lead and feed and shepherd your flock, your family, okay? And uh, I also want to tell you that as a, as a father myself, there's nothing that's going to be more difficult than that responsibility. It doesn't mean you have to do it all. It doesn't mean you have to do all of the training. That's where your spouse comes along to help you and encourage you and support you in that. But it's our job to make sure that it gets done, okay? That's the Deuteronomy is, is, is written to the, to the fathers, your fathers. Ephesians chapter 6 says, Fathers, uh, don't exasperate your children, but raise them up in the ways of the Lord, okay? So that's a responsibility. Okay, uh, enough from me. Uh, what I want to do is uh, I just want to ask you some questions, and you're going to have to answer this as a group. I told you what I was going to ask you ahead of time, so you know this is coming, all right? So here before us this morning, uh, do you as parents... Uh, Believe in Jesus Christ, and are you trusting in him and his death alone as the payment for your sins? And if so, answer, we are. Okay, all right. Do you, and I'm going to say this to Luke and Kira and Dustin and Molly and Eric and Ange, uh, do you promise to raise these little ones to follow and know Christ and to lead them and introduce them to a relationship with Christ as soon as they're able to know and, and understand it, and if so, answer, uh, we commit to do this. Yes, we do. Okay, all right. And finally, for you, um, will each of you, as parents, uh, seek to lead your little ones, uh, and I'm just going to mention the, the, the first ones here, uh, Malachi and Everly and Briella, in the ways of Jesus, and to understand what he's done for our, him on, us on the cross, and will you seek to raise them up in, the, in a, in a God-fearing church so that they can know and understand the truths of God's word and, at a young age as much as they can, and you're going to help them grow up in Christ, and if so, answer, yes, we will. Yes, 
All right. Okay. Now we do have uh, we have any grandparents here today? Okay. We have some grandparents. Um, so grandparents, you, I'm not going to embarrass you. You don't have to come up here, uh, but I'm going to ask you a question, and uh, you can say this either silently to yourself or or not. But uh, they're seeing you. Nobody else is seeing you. Okay. Uh, so to the grandparents, what I want to ask you is. Do you pledge to support these people in their attempts and their conviction to raise these children up to know and fear and honor Christ as best as you can? Not to be an adversary, but to be an advocate for them. And if so, answer, yes, we do. do. Okay, thank you. All right, let me pray. Father, uh, right now we just commit these little ones into your hands, and I, I pray Father, for for Malachi, and I pray for Everly, and I pray for Briella, that you would work in their hearts and that at a young age you would open the eyes of their spirit that they might come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. I pray for their parents. Lord, I pray for Luke and Kiera. Pray for Dustin and Molly, for Eric and Ange, that you'd give them extra grace and strength, courage and physical stamina and spiritual wisdom to raise not just these that are here, but all of those entrusted into their care as their children in the ways, in the good ways of the Lord. We pray it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. 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 Okay, so, yeah, give them a hand. All right. by him good good father we're loved by you let's pray father we have a good good father who loves us and I pray that you would take us for a few moments into an understanding of that that may not come easily as we look at a difficult text to grapple with but a text that's clear I pray that you would use your word to inform our minds, I use your word to warm our hearts, and use your word to transform our lives. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. When I was in the fifth grade, my father decided it'd be a good idea for our family to have a job, and so he went out and contracted our services, everybody except himself, of course, to do the work. And uh, I'm old school, so what we did is probably unfamiliar to many of you, but it's 
becoming more in vogue nowadays, what we did was we, we did what they called walking beans, okay? So they have beans growing, soybeans growing in the fields, and they're in rows, and between the rows there's some dirt, okay? And so, but in the rows and between the rows, a lot of times there are weeds, and so we were contracted to go through and pull the weeds or actually cut the weeds, as the case may be. And the, the, the rows were three-quarters of a mile long, and they were chocked full of weeds. Now, this is becoming more in vogue now because people are going back to what they call organic farming. That's just old school farming, you know, the way I did it. That's just the way we used to do it. But we had to walk three quarters of a mile and pull the weeds or cut the weeds. And some of these weeds, I don't know if you know what a sunflower is, but some of the sunflowers are so big that the birds were actually nesting in the sunflowers. It was hard, it was hot. It was very difficult work, and we were all convinced that it was unfair, that it was unbearable, and that it was absolutely unnecessary. But it was our Father's attempt to develop us through the discipline of going through that work. And when I say discipline, I don't mean punishment, I mean shaping and forming us. He was trying to instruct us and direct us and not necessarily correct us, but in much the same way that our Heavenly Father, who is a good, good Father, uses difficult, trying, troubling, hard things to instruct, direct, and sometimes correct his own children. You see, God often uses trials not to make us bitter, but to make us better. But when we, like the Jewish believers to whom the author of Hebrews wrote, misunderstand the purpose behind God's discipline, when we fail to see it as his difficulty to develop us, then we can kind of like forget this. I'm done with this. I don't like this. And we miss out on all that God has intended for us to grow us and mature us. We tend to abandon our faith rather than to endure from it. And uh, you were all reminded uh, a few weeks ago that we are supposed to keep pressing on to lay aside every encumbrance and the sin that so entangles us and run with endurance the race that's set before us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross and despising the shame is seated at the right hand of God. Consider him who endured such contradiction by sinners against himself that you might not grow weary and lose heart. Contradiction. Jesus endured. But Interestingly, they're sitting there, the Hebrew Christians, and you and I sometimes were sitting and saying, well, why should we endure? Well, look at Jesus. <laughs> he endured. He becomes our example. And so this morning, I want to look at Hebrews chapter 12, verses 4 through 11, and here we see three reasons, at least, why difficulties as God's discipline incentivize or motivate us to endurance in the Christian life. Three reasons why this discipline, as we look at Jesus, the example who endured and was disciplined, was instructed and corrected and was directed, 
I'm in Hebrews chapter 11 or 12, and I want you to read with me the text beginning in verse 4. He says this, You have not resisted to the point of shedding of blood in your striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all of you have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful, yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. The first reason for Seeing the difficulty as discipline that would motivate us to continue in the faith is that discipline proves God's love for us as his children. And there's two steps that were taken through in the text to convince us that discipline proves God's love. First of all, I think the author is um, looking at our, our misguided perspective and he condemns it. Okay? So he's condemning our misguided perspective on suffering. There's two errors that he brings out. First of all, they were exaggerating their pain, and we tend to exaggerate our pain. In verse 4, he says, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding of blood. It's kind of like he's saying, what are you whining about? You haven't died yet, have you? Again, listen, looking to Jesus. What will I suffer on this earth? that compares to what Christ has suffered for me. The original audience was convinced that they're striving against sin, and that's the key here, folks. They're striving against sin means not they were striving against the sin principle in the world and sinful people in the world who were persecuting them, who were bringing hardship or bringing humiliation upon them because of their faith. That's the striving against sin that he talks about in society and sinful people. They thought like I thought when I was walking through the bean field on a hot summer day, pulling weeds bigger than me. It's unfair. It's unbearable. It's absolutely unnecessary. Yet none of them had suffered unjustly. Because none of them was sinless. Jesus suffered unjustly. Because he was sinless. None of them had suffered to the point of dying. Martyrdom. They hadn't shed their blood. No. So he says, you have nothing. So their complaints were arrogant. I think that's what he's saying. Since their own sin may have been the result or the reason for their suffering. You know, it's entirely possible for us as fallen people to suffer because of our sin. It's like, oh, well, I made that choice, so now I'm suffering for it. Now it's God's fault. No, it's not God's fault. And they were ignorant of God's perspective on their troubles. The trials that believers face 
whether they're deserved or not deserved, whether they're deserved because of our sin or they're undeserved because they're difficulties that stem because we are naming the name of Jesus. God is using them as part of his plan. Now that's the hard part in this text because I want to see suffering as something to escape and God wants to see it as something to educate and to equip for his purposes. Secondly, we ignore, first of all, we can exaggerate our pain, and then we can ignore God's plan. See, God gives them two pitfalls that they had fallen into that we're supposed to avoid, that prevent us, these pitfalls prevent us from viewing the difficulty as his discipline, which is for our good, for our development. First, he says, do not regard lightly. You have forgotten the exhortation. Do not regard lightly. My son, do not regard lightly, verse 5. He's quoting Proverbs chapter 3. He's bringing them back to the Bible. He says, this is not new, folks. God has said, I will discipline you. Do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. He brings them back to what really is the essence of this text. God's discipline. God's discipline. Now, Discipline, the word, actual word that's translated discipline in the New American Standard, I'm not sure exactly what it is in the ESV, is, is mentioned nine times in these 11 verses. Nine times. And discipline is here in the sense of that which a parent or that which a teacher does in order to bring about, to direct, to instruct, or correct so as to bring maximum development. Okay, that's what you need to think about. When we think about discipline, we think of timeouts. Well, I don't think of timeouts because I'm old school, but uh, that we, we didn't do timeouts. We did other more proactive things. You know, we took away responsibilities or we added privileges or other things. So uh, that was, you know, I was party to that. So... He, that's what we think of discipline. But no, discipline is instruction, it's direction, and sometimes it is correction. And so he says, this is the idea. The Jewish believers, uh, it's to develop us. Discipline came to these Jewish believers in the forms of suffering and persecution and ridicule. We could go back to chapter 10 and we see that that's what they were experiencing. Suffering and ridicule and persecution because they named the name of Jesus. That's the suffering that's happening here. That's the difficulty. It's because you call out that I'm a believer. Uh, just read that uh, Vice President Pence spoke at Liberty University and he told the graduating class that they would be experiencing persecution, alienation, and Suffering because if they would stand up for their Christian convictions. That's the culture we live in. Increasingly hostile to believers. That's what they experienced. Think of the story of Job. In the Old Testament, Job had everything taken away from him. He had his money taken away. had his, his family taken away. had his power, his prestige. All of it. Was God punishing Job? No. God was purifying Job. You have to read the whole book to get to the end of it, but God was at work not to punish Job, but to promote his progress. So to regard lightly the discipline of the Lord means to take no notice of it or to kind of pass it off and to ignore our hardships arise because 
of our faith is a form of God's work to develop us. I mean, I don't think of those terms most of the time, that somehow if I'm persecuted because of my faith, if somehow I'm ridiculed because I'm a believer or I'm excluded from being able to go to a party because my friends don't want me there because they're going to do things they know I don't approve of, or if I get, uh, don't get promoted because I stand up for my moral because of my integrity, I don't think of that as, oh, yippee, you know. Here he says, and I know, I know students, you know, you, they've turned in papers and they've gotten lower grades because they didn't agree with the professor or the teacher because they had a biblical perspective on the way things go. And that was not, but they suffered for it. I ask myself this question. I'm going to ask you the question. Does the reality of my suffering eclipse God's reason for it? Does the reality of it, the, the overwhelming weight of it, eclipse God's reason for making it happen? Some of you will not know this name. I didn't really know it either until I read about it. But uh, a guy by the name of Israel Falau, who is a, was a rugby player in South Africa, or I'm sorry, Australia, I believe it is, Australia, South uh, rugby player, he sent out a tweet, which you can ask somebody younger than you if you don't know what that is, but his social media, okay, he sent it out so everybody could read it on the, uh, on the, in the world who's on Twitter, that his support for 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, which names certain sinful activity and says that such sinful activity, those who commit these sins, will not inherit the kingdom of God. And he just tweeted out his support of that, and he was... Fired. He's a professional rugby player. He was. He was fired simply because he expressed his opinion as, as a believer. That's the kind of thing. Regarding lightly may also mean that we're complaining rather than being concerned about what God is trying to teach us in our suffering. God, what are you doing I like what Arthur Pink says. Remind yourself how much dross there is yet among the gold and view the corruption of your own heart and marvel that God has not smitten you more severely. Form the habit of heeding his taps and you will less likely receive his raps. At the end of verse 5, he says, nor faint, okay? So we're not supposed to regard lightly, nor are we to faint. God isn't giving us this discipline to cause us to falter, to cause us to stop in our faith, which is what the Jewish believers that the author is writing, the book of Hebrews 2, were in danger of. Just give it up. Go back to Judaism. It's easier. There's less friction. There's more support for it. God's discipline is not to cause us that. He's a wise and loving father. Good, good father. He knows just the right amount that you and I need. Now, it may be different for different people. Some of us are more bullheaded than others. Now, don't you get, some people say, well, that person's stubborn. They must be Irish. No, they're just human. You know, that's the human thing, okay? I remember when Marl and I, when all of our children were home, we decided when it was time to teach our kids about responsibility of doing chores and having responsibility. I mean, they helped make the mess, so why shouldn't they clean it up? I mean, it's, like, it's not just my job. 
I didn't make all that mess. So they had jobs, they had responsibilities. It was our, we taught them, decided when it was time to teach them to run the lawnmower, the weed eater, when it was time to wash the dishes, or at least load the dishwasher, when it was time to put the dishes up. We decided when, what, whether it was a, not a timeout, whether it was an added responsibility or whether it was a removed privilege that would give them instruction and direction. If we keep our eyes on Jesus, weigh our suffering versus his, and view the hardships of staying faithful as God's plan to develop us. That's what I think the text is saying. Consider Jesus, look at his suffering, weigh it against yours, and keep pressing ahead because God is still trying to develop you. So the first error was that uh, the misguided perspective on suffering, it's condemned. The second thing, the second step is that God's majestic purpose for our suffering is commended in verses 6 through 8. Then he says, for, for this is the reason for those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. Do you believe that? I mean, that's what the Bible says. So it's faith. This is a faith issue. You want to persevere in the faith, you have to believe that God really is interested in my development, your development as a believer through discipline. Our struggles that result from striving against sin in this world are part of God's love. His direction, His instruction, His correction are proof that He loves us. I like this old statement. God doesn't waste His time cutting worms out of bad apples. Some of you have never picked apples and you've never seen them or picked them up off of the ground and you're trying to make, no, and this one is like, this is a waste of time. There's more junk here than there is apple. God doesn't waste his time cutting worms out of bad apples. He cares about us. That's why he disciplines us. I remember as a boy walking home from school one day, and this is old time, okay? This is back when we actually had pay telephones and telephone booths. We had a pay telephone in the bowling alley on the way home from school and I stopped in the phone booth and I looked in, as I always did, I checked the little drawer to see if there's any change in there because we used to put money in and that they didn't use up all their time, then they'd give them change. And I found a dime. And I put it in my pocket and I walked home and, and I told my mom, Mom, look what I found in the phone booth in the change thing. She says, Steve, I want you to take it back right now and put it where you found it because that's not yours. I looked at her like, what planet are you from, woman? I just found a dime. (laughs) Finders, keepers, losers, weepers. Didn't you know that little saying? Possession is nine-tenths of the law. Well, she was concerned about the one-tenth. It wasn't my dime. She was shaping me. She was forming me. That was a harsh lesson. Not really, but at the time it seemed pretty rash. You know, seemed pretty. difficult discipline because she loved me. She didn't care. She didn't want me taking things that weren't mine. And I grew up learning you don't take things that aren't yours. If my mom didn't love me, she wouldn't teach me that lesson. She'd just let me take whatever I wanted to. Pretty soon what goes around comes around. And that's not a good way to live. Marla and I spent time and money and effort and energy teaching our kids to respect and love each other and love other people and their property. To be kind and generous and to treat people the way you want to be treated. Our Heavenly Father cares about us. And 
he wants us to apply diligence in our faith so that we would put moral excellence into it. It says in 2 Peter, moral excellence, and to your moral excellence, knowledge, and to your knowledge, self-control, and to your self-control, perseverance, and to your perseverance, godliness, and to your godliness, brotherly kindness, and to your brotherly kindness, love. That's what our Heavenly Father's doing when we stand up for Jesus and we suffer for it. He's trying to develop us. He wants us. And notice the text says at the end of verse 6, and he scourges every son whom he receives. Now, folks, that's the New American Standard. I, don't know, I think it says chastises in the, in the ESV. <laughs> yeah, right. No, it means scourge. It is a very, very violent and very harsh discipline. Okay? God's true sons and daughters will receive discipline that is consistent with God's love and commensurate with God's lesson. Only a loving father will implement instruction and direction. Do you understand that? That's what he goes on to say. He says, verse 6, it is for discipline that you endure. What does that mean? It means you endure difficulty as discipline. I see the difficulties that I get because I'm standing up for Jesus as God's discipline, his instruction, his correction, and his direction. That's the way he wants me to go. That's where he's leading me to go. And then he says this in verse 7, For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? I'm telling you, as a kid growing up, I didn't think my dad loved me very much when he was disciplining me. But then I thought about it. If he didn't give a rip about how I turned out, then he wouldn't do anything. And I've known people. And the people who grew up without discipline, without correction, without instruction, without direction, they didn't feel loved. Folks, every one of us wants to know we're loved and we want to know we matter. And if we raise our kids, and I'll say this to you parents with the, the baby dedication, if you don't instruct, if we don't correct, and we don't direct our children, we don't love them. And it's hard to give hard discipline to our kids and hard instruction and hard direction to our kids. I remember as a boy, I was fascinated with magnets and how they worked and why they would attract and I, had a, I, I was playing with a friend, and he had some, some cars and trucks and stuff, and they, I don't know, there were some magnets, or I thought there were magnets in them, and so I took a hammer and a screwdriver, and I tore them apart, my friend's toys, looking for the magnets, because I wanted to find a magnet. And my parents found out, and they said, Steve, go find some of your favorite toys, and you're going to replace the ones that you destroyed. No. You've got to be kidding. No, we're not kidding. We're serious. And so I had to go get some of the toys that I favored most and replace the ones I had destroyed. Because you respect other people's property. Because you do what's right. You don't steal. You don't damage other people's stuff. What son... Is there whose father and mother does not discipline them? If my parents would have said, yeah, well, you know, it's too bad. They shouldn't have left them over here anyway. That's their fault. 
They didn't love me if they would have said that, but they loved me, and so they disciplined me. Our trials are to train us. Our difficulties are to develop us in the way God wants. I wonder, right now, you may be suffering because of your naming the name of Jesus on the job. Maybe it's in your home. You know, family members that alienate and ostracize and criticize you. Maybe it's in the workplace. How are you responding? Is God trying to teach me patience? Is he trying to teach me more of what it means to forgive? Is he trying to teach me more of what it means to show kindness and to pray for my enemies and to love my enemies so that I can be more like Christ? Verse 8 says, But if you are without discipline, of which all of you have become partakers. I like that. Now remember that. Of which all of you have become partakers. Which means they're all sons. If they've all become partakers of the discipline of God, then they're all sons. Because a father disciplines the son whom he loves. The absence of, of difficulty, the absence of suffering because of our faith, what does that prove? It's, it's not to be envied, it's to be pitied. Because those people aren't children. They aren't the sons. Undisciplined children are unwanted and unloved children. That's what God says. Those who do not know the instruction or correction of God have no connection with God. We don't know the instruction and correction and direction. We don't know any connection. We aren't God's children because he disciplines those whom he loves. I hope and pray in my own life and I hope and pray in your life as we more and more as we see this kind of discipline, instruction, correction and direction from God because we stand for the name of Jesus, we will give thanks to our loving Father for caring enough to discipline us so that we become more like him. Secondly, discipline provides us with life in verses 9 and 10. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us. Again, is a contrast between earthly fathers and our heavenly father. And we respected them. How much more should we respect God, our heavenly father, who disciplines us? If we respected our earthly fathers, it should be more heightened compliance, not resistance. And submission results in life. This is what he says at the end of verse 9. Not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live. Now, it doesn't mean that we become spiritually alive because we submit to the Father's discipline because he only disciplines those who are already spiritually alive, his children. So in what sense are we alive? Well, there's a couple of things that come to mind. First of all, spared life. You see, in the Old Covenant, if you disobeyed your father, guess what happened to you? <laughs> You're done. Really? Yeah. That's how seriously they took discipline and instruction and correction. And so I think, at least in some regards, and we can go to 1 Corinthians 11. I'm not going to go there. But you can see that some were making a mockery of the Lord's table. They were abusing it because of their arrogance. And God says, some of you have gone to sleep because of your disobedience. Some of those who were believers, their life was taken short because of their disobedience. I think that could happen. So they're spared life if we are subject to the Father in His discipline. There is satisfied life. Notice it says in verse 10, for they disciplined us for a short time, that's earthly fathers, as it seemed best to them, but He disciplined us for our good. To satisfy us. To sustain us. Some of you read the book uh, Hannah Hernard's Heinz Feet on High Places. Uh, she has two little companions. Sorrow and suffering. Strange companions. 
But companions, what? That help solidify and strengthen and deepen her. So the idea is that God brings this suffering into our life to give us a satisfied life, a fuller life in Christ of what it means to be Him. Regular submission to God's discipline enriches us. And then it brings to us a sanctified life. At the end of verse 10, he says, that we may share in His holiness. Our good, which stems from Discipline is that we may share in his holiness. We were riding with uh, Grandpa, my oldest sister and I, and uh, we were bickering in the back seat. And uh, Grandpa said, that's enough, stop it. And so we stopped. And then we were riding along in silence, and all of a sudden my sister yells, quit it, Steve! My grandfather's discipline was swift and severe. I hadn't done anything. He was driving. He couldn't see. My sister set me up. And it worked. It worked. I want to tell you, our Heavenly Father doesn't set us up. Our Heavenly Father doesn't fall for that. God's correction is always the right severity at the right time, the right method, with the right goal. Our holiness, holiness of life, that our lives would be brought more into conformity with Christ and to live a life. He wants those who are set apart spiritually, those of us who are his children, to live more like his children. And so sometimes he brings these difficult things to us. To view the hurt and the hostility and humiliation we encounter as part of God's purposeful pain requires faith. So he, he, he wants to provide, he, he proves his love to us through it. He provides life, and finally, he produces righteousness within us. And there's two facts here in verse 11 that I want to call your attention to. First of all, discipline pains us. I mean, let's be honest, it's not fun. Uh, none of us likes instruction and correction. I mean, do you like speed limit signs? No. But they tell you you have to go a certain speed limit. You don't like one. I mean, I was driving the other day, and it was like I was downtown, and I wanted to go, and I had to go a one-way street. And I was like, yeah, I'm, I, that's the furthest way. I don't like going the far way, you know. I just zip down this street. And yesterday or Friday, I had the greatest experience. I, I, I never went through so many red lights in all my life as I was going through the funeral procession, and the cops were just stopping every, every red light. You know, we were just, I mean, I went through so many red lights on the way to Grimes, it was just unreal. I was like, ooh, this is kind of cool. I like this. You know? We don't like discipline. We don't like instruction. We don't like correction. That's just not in our nature. Parental discipline is unpleasant. I didn't like picking up my clothes. I didn't like making my bed. I didn't like turning off the lights. I didn't like shutting the door. You young people, you don't like getting off of your devices. You don't like having curfews. You don't like, you know, all those rules mom and dad make. But they do it because they love you. It's not pleasant. It's sorrowful. God's discipline is not pleasant. Think of the hostility, the hurt, the humiliation of being a Christian. Would you like to lose your job as a professional rugby player because you agreed with the Bible? Would you like to be 
given a lower grade on your paper because you actually articulated what you believe is true or you shared your opinion in some colleges you can't even have a Bible study because you can't wear certain shirts. You can wear all kinds of other shirts, profane shirts, shirts that use the name of Christ in a profane way, but if you want to use Jesus' name in an endearing way, then, oh, well, we got to stop that because people might become indoctrinated and inculcated and we have to separate church and state and we have to be politically correct and all this stuff. And you say, why? I don't want to experience that humiliation. Did you know that one of the alleged shooters at the Highland Park STEM school actually hated Christians, said they hated Christians, was out for Christians? Really? Can you understand what it would be like to be a parent with a kid in that school? Okay, now how am I supposed to respond to this suffering? This hostility against our faith. Am I going to pray for that person? Am I going to show mercy? Am I going to, I mean, that's like, that's God's stuff. It's like, I can't do this in my own strength. That's where God is trying to form us and fashion us. God discipline pains us. Secondly, discipline profits us. You know, the world's philosophy is no pain. No pain. God's philosophy There's no pain, no gain. No spiritual pain, no gain. He says discipline profits only those who are trained by it. You know? I like this story. Uh, You know, the warning about the pitfalls in verse 5. If we regard it lightly or refuse faith, we don't profit from it. The discipline. If we we disregard it. I read, uh, I don't know, it's an older book, but Stu Weber who was a Green Beret, he's a pastor and an author, was also serving in Vietnam. And he told this story in his book, Tender Warrior. He told a story about his, his last week of the most intense training that he'd ever been to with his ranger buddy, Lou Francis. 63 days. He says, unbelievable physical and mental trauma, the toughest experience either of us had had faced to that point in our lives. And during the most intense part of the training, they walked through frigid waters in the Yellow River uh, of the Yellow River with just their briefs on because they were holding their clothes above their heads to keep their clothes from getting wet. The outside temperature was below freezing. He said we, we survived. Pushed to the ragged edge of mental, emotional, and physical exhaustion they endured in the completion of this rigorous training profited them during their actual combat in Vietnam. Folks, they said, you know, we've gone through this before. We can handle this. We can go through it because God gives us grace. Or, you know, they, they, now, God's completion of God's training gives us encouragement. I can do this. God, God is with me. He's, he's taking me on through this. It's part of what God wants. Those trained by God's discipline can enjoy the calm assurance. That's what it says in verse 11. What yields the peaceful fruit, which is righteousness. The calm assurance that God is bringing me into greater conformity to his will. That not just I'm in right standing with God, but he's bringing my position into conformity with my practice. My practice into conformity with my position. That I'm more like Jesus than I was before. Those trained by the discipline enjoy the calm and quiet assurance of rightly relationship with God. Heeding God's training strengthens our character. It does. Solidifies our faith and supplies confidence and joy and purpose. 
So, you know, you're here this morning and say, well, I don't care. I'm glad I'm not a Christian because I don't really want to suffer that much. I would just say to you, exemption from discipline means exclusion from the family. And I would suggest, and I would suggest that even though it's painful, the presence in the family is much more profitable, much more beneficial, it's much more better, it's better, not much more better, it's better uh, than being outside, okay? And so I just invite you to turn from your sin and trust in what Christ did on the cross as the payment for your sins, not so you can enjoy this persecution, but so that you can enjoy new life in Christ, which brings with it this refining, this refining and maturing process so that our life now becomes more in conformity with the position that we have in Christ. And believers, I just close you uh, with this prayer. It's an anonymous prayer. I'm not sure I'm courageous enough to pray it consistently, but this is what it says, and I hope that I become more consistent to pray it. And so, what do I say? I say, let the rains of disappointment come if they water the plants of spiritual grace. Let the winds of adversity blow if they serve to root more securely the trees that God has planted I say, let the sun of prosperity be eclipsed if that brings me closer to the true light of life. Welcome, sweet discipline, discipline designed for my joy, discipline designed for, to make me what God wants me to be. Even the son learned obedience through the things that he suffered. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8. If we're to look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, we look to his suffering as an example that we're not exempt. But that example is to bring us more into conformity. In his humanity, he learned obedience. And we celebrate the table, the broken bread and the cup, as a reminder of what he did for us. It's a continuation of our motivation and endurance is what Jesus did. And that's what we celebrate when we break the bread and the cup. His sacrifice of his body and his blood. Prove his submission to the Father on our behalf, and provide salvation for all. They propel us not to grow weary and lose heart because we don't have to go through anything that he didn't go through for us. Let's pray. Father, uh, give us grace uh, to embrace the persecution, the hostility, the hardships that come because we name the name of Jesus as we look to our Lord and Savior. As we break this bread, drink this cup, I pray that all who are here this morning who know Jesus would feel welcome to come and to be reminded that even you, Lord Jesus, are obedience to the things you suffered. Help us not to think we're above you. Help us to look at your sacrifice as a motivation for our service. Help us to see more clearly the suffering that we endure or that we experience as your discipline to develop us, we pray in Jesus' name.